Good morning, church. Um, today's scripture, we're going to be reading two different places. Um, it's going to be Acts 2, 42 through 45, and then I'll read 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. So we're going to start with Acts 2, 42 through 45. Please stand for the reading of the word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And now for 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here with us uh, this Sunday morning, and um, yeah, the rain hasn't been too bad yet. Hopefully, it, it won't be too bad, and hopefully, the, we'll get through this unscathed. But um, last week, we started a new series called The Gospel Life, and uh, that's just simply an invitation for us to remember, recall, to be able to articulate the gospel in clear terms, uh, really looking at how the good news of Jesus, the grace that he offers us, uh, transforms our life completely. And I know that's something kind of I don't know, Christian easy, that kind of sounds like something you, you would hear often, but um, the amazing thing about that change is it's not just for us. It's not just for us to be better people or to be more moralistic or uh, for us to be kinder or smarter. It's not just for my benefit uh, or my agenda in terms of what I was hoping for my life, but actually the grace of God has this outward working of, uh, of grace that happens um, to, to kind of spill out in a collateral way. And so as we think about the gospel, that's what I really want us to think about in terms of how it impacts our neighbors, how it impacts our coworkers, our friends in, in, in many ways, those far from the love of Christ. And so one of the best examples we have in scripture uh, is, is what you just heard, uh, is how the church ought to live out grace, and that's the early church and how they set the example right out of the gate. And so as we continue in this Gospel Life series, it's important we talk about, well, what does a life of generosity look like? A life of generosity. And looking at the early church, it's one of the easiest things to spot, um, how they live that way, and yet um, perhaps it's one of the hardest things to emulate or, or to even hear about uh, in a way. But I, I want you guys to understand this, uh, that Christians have always been generous, like, this has kind of been our M.O. since the beginning of time. We are known as generous, giving, sacrificial people. And it's, it's one of these things that we, we really need to remember. This is what we've come from. This is who we are at our base. And um, listen, this is the first time in the history, kind of our, our one year as a church, that I've preached specifically on generosity and kind of the implication of even giving in, in a way. And I realize there's a wide variety of people who are in this room uh, who might just need to hear and be reminded of this. Uh, listen, I, I have no problem asking you to be generous uh, this morning for two reasons. First of all, because the Bible specifically calls us to it. That's a, a big reason. We can't say that we love the Bible and ignore the countless amount of verses that speak to how we are called to live generously um, and, and kind of how we're supposed to view our money. 
So the Bible speaks directly to this. But secondly, I believe that generosity is specifically tied to your health and maturity as a disciple of Jesus. I really believe that. Uh, I, I believe that, uh, li- listen, like, like if I were to look at your monthly budget, if you have a budget, hopefully you do, um, I think I could see with some amazing accuracy what type of values you have, what's most important to you, where you spend most of your, your time and money and resources. And discipleship, if anything, discipleship is a, it's a complete holistic view of, of who do you follow, right? Like what do you value in your life? And so it's natural that as we think about the, the inner workings of the gospel and how that works outward into our life, we're going to talk about how we spend our money, how we are generous, what do we do with our things, how we view stuff. And so, so that's it. That's my agenda to talk to about, about being generous with you in this church context. And so listen, if you're uncomfortable with that notion, I just want to encourage you to stick with us through this time. Let's study and see what God has to say, and let's see what the early church um, how that applies to us today. So let me uh, set the stage. Um, if you recall, uh, the last few, last, uh, a lot of the last few, last year, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. And so as we wrap up uh, Mark this year, you will uh, see some of these things come to pass. Jesus Christ has come to earth. He's taught. He's brought the good news. Um, he's proved that he was God in the flesh by dying on the cross and r- rising from the grave. This is the basic framework of the apostles Uh, telling of his life. And in the midst of his ministry, Jesus has grown a group of believers. We know them as the disciples. And these disciples are are kind of the beginnings of the early church. They are the guys that follow Jesus around. It's this crowd that grows. And especially as Jesus dies and rises again, this crowd starts to get organized under the leadership of guys like Peter and eventually Paul. So the book of Acts shares how the church experiences this amazing growth in light of the resurrection. And we get to this very well-known scripture uh, describing how they acted with one another. And that's what you heard Lauren read aloud in Acts 2. So let's go back there. And I want you to see Acts 2. Let's start with verse 42 again. Uh, It says this about the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So if I can be completely honest and transparent with you, as I read Acts 2, 42 through 45, as I read this passage and I'm reminded by how the early church engaged with one another, you could probably track my, I don't know, my enthusiasm, my my excitement for what we're reading as we start in verse 42, like devoted to teaching. Yes, awesome. Devoted to the fellowship, absolutely. The Lord's Supper and and these wonders and sign, all awesome, amazing things. God is at work. And then we keep reading, and let's be honest, to mostly for our kind of American ears, this, the rest of this starts to sound a little bit like a communist experiment, okay? Uh, Starting in verse uh, 44. Um, It's not something you see in the church in the year 2023. That's my honest take, and let's So let's correct ourselves a bit, all right? There's nothing communist about this uh, because it is marked by deep love and sincere generosity to one another. That is the impetus for this type of behavior, this type of perspective in the early church, which if you know your history, that's not the marker of how communism works at all. It's usually a really powerful, important guy uh, telling everybody else how to live, and they have to follow along. So that's not what we see here in the early church. 
Here's the first thing that we see in verse 44, if we're following along. A life of generosity means this, means sharing what we have. A life of generosity means sharing what we have. So verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so I want to remind you of a greater point here that this is not just a specific part of the church. We're not talking about all the generous people getting into one room and saying, okay, we're the generous portion of the church. We're the people who are going to make this thing work and finance this thing and give the resources to it. This isn't a radical sect within the church, and it may be easy to dismiss this as some specific leadership track within the congregation, and we'd be wrong to do so. Because Acts 2 is the model for all believers. Every Christian who calls himself a believer in Christ uh, ought to live this way, ought to have a posture like this, living on, uh, the, in the same way. Which means, by extension, if you are hearing me today uh, and you love and follow Jesus, this is for you and I as well. It says they were together. Underline, highlight that word if, if you have a, a pen. That word actually together occurs five times in the book of Acts. And we're talking here about a gathered community living together. This emphasis on unity. Not just getting together in proximity, but there is a supernatural unity that happens when the church comes together, and that's always been the standard for the church. So listen, um, you could put 56,000 Dodger fans and Giant fans uh, in the same stadium at Dodger Stadium. You could do that, right? Some of you guys have been to a game before. I mean, you've been to a, a game like that where there's like kind of arch rivals in the same stadium. They are close together. Sometimes they fight. Sometimes they yell at each other. There's this proximity that uh, is very clear. People are sitting right next to each other. But you, you could do that, but I think that we would all say they aren't unified, right? Like there's not this unity that marks this crowd of 56,000 people. And that's one of the things the secular community seems to forget. It's one of the most beautiful things about the Christian church is that when it's up and running the right way, the beautiful unity we see in Christian community, it spills out into sharing. It spills out into generosity. So they were together, not just physically, but for a purpose. And it says in verse 44 that they had all things in common. Now, something you might miss in English, the word common in Greek is actually the same root word as the word fellowship in verse 42. So why do I bring that up? It's almost like the writer of Acts, who is Luke. It's almost like Luke is thinking of ways to make connections and show us exactly what does it mean to fellowship with one another. And so he goes out of his way and uses the same word that means, it means to have things in common. We share our stuff with one another. And so they don't just share time or interests or values with one another, but they actually, actually share their physical and material resources as well. And so uh, listen, church, as, as we are you know, celebrating a year, as we're thinking about what God has done in our midst, is this an area we could grow in as a church where fellowship takes on more meaning than simply just being together? It's sharing what we have with one another. You know, another way to say this is that fellowship costs something. There's, there's a cost to it. There's not a formal cost of admission. You don't have to pay to get in. But there's an expectation that when the people of God come together, 
that there is, is going to be the sharing that happens. So, for example, I was thinking about this. Uh, imagine if you are invited to a dinner club. I'm not sure if any of you have been part of a dinner club before. It's very, it sounds very adult, right? It's like you get together and share a meal once a month or something. And, and so one of your friends says, I'm going to host this thing once a month. I'm going to invite you and you and you, and you're invited as a part of this dinner club. And uh, your friend says, I'm going to do the entree, and each of our friends are going to bring a side or dessert, a, a bottle of wine, something nice to share with everybody. And you say, I'm in. Sounds great. Wonderful. I, I'd love to come. And so you come the, the first month, and, and you show up, and you, you, you eat and consume, but you don't really bring anything. And month two comes along, and you, you come, and you drink the wine, and you eat the food, and you laugh, and you have a good time, but you didn't, you didn't bring anything. You just kind of showed up. And imagine six months goes by, you're invited to this dinner club, and you never bring anything to dinner club. You just simply come and eat and consume. Um, would it be reasonable if the host at some point, after six months, calls you up and says, hey, do you, do you really want to be a part of dinner club? Like, do you understand how this works? Man, I, I love you, and I'm glad that you're here, but you, you kind of understand the expectation was that you would bring something. Totally reasonable question, right? Because the expectation is, is if you're going to be together, you're going to participate. And that is how church should operate. Now, listen, this example breaks down because I realize we are a church, and we're not a dinner club. So that means if, if I'm slammed at work, and you can't bring, you, you know, if I, I can't bring mashed potatoes... I mean, I can still come, right? And you can too. You're still welcome. If life gets busy, um, please come to church. Please come and consume. Please have a meal on us. There's plenty to share. Do you understand how this analogy is going, right? Like, like we want you here. Even when life is crazy, even when work has you working, you know, double shifts, all those things. Uh, if you're in a financial patch, and if you literally can't contribute, um, Man, we want you here. There's plenty to share. There's plenty to share within the church. But listen, if you're, if you're at home and if I went to your house and you had shelves full of food, if you have a fridge in the garage, which is awesome, by the way, it's a lot of fun to have that fridge in the garage, right? If you had that fridge in the garage with the drinks and all the snacks and the pantry that's loaded up, if you got that extra stuff and you don't want to share, man, I, I mean, you're still welcome. You are, but listen, you're missing out on something. You're missing out on what it means to share in the midst of the community. And if you have and you don't share, you are not experiencing church the way it's supposed to be. Because when you are in community, you share the load. When you love a group of people, you contribute and help in any way you can. You know, it's like whenever our, our family, we have four kids and we're kind of a, a group that kind of goes in and out of the house, and it's just a mix of ruckus, going to Costco. It's like there's a lot of people that we bring into the, into the Costco. Uh, if our family pulls up to our house after a, a big trip to Costco, and it's time to unload, and everyone, including myself, just rushes into the house as fast as possible and leaves my wife, Katie, with all the unloading, and I ironically say, hey, love you, babe. Love you, Katie. Love you, Mom, on the way out. Well, what does that kind of, what does that show in terms of how we really feel about, about her? That's something weird about that. Something isn't aligned. First uh, John 3.17, John is very clear on the subject. It's on the screen. He says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, 
how does God's love abide in him? In, in other words, if you, if you have the answer to the need that your brother or sister has and you don't step up, what, what's going on in your heart? There's a detachment happening. There's something off about that. And if you could help a brother or sister in Christ and don't, what does that communicate? And so, listen, fellowship is more than just being together. It's more than just proximity. A life of generosity means sharing what you have. Now, not only that, but we need to remember to keep an eye open for some specific opportunities as well. Here's point number two. A life of generosity means that we're always at the ready. A life of generosity means we're always at the ready. Look at verse 45 of Acts 2. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. If you notice, verse 44 is kind of like the headline. And then verse 45 is the practical plan of how we live that out. And so you could make the case, if you just read verse 44, it's like communism, right? But verse 45, you add that, and it's like, okay, there's some clarity about how we actually do this. And it's clarified by seeing there's two parts. It says one it says they sold stuff. And number two, it says that they gave as any had need. They stepped up and they met big needs when a big need presented itself. So listen, it's not like the disciples stood up that first weekend and said, okay, listen up. Next weekend, in addition to coming to the church picnic, uh, on, on your way, you're going to drop off uh, uh, this stuff to the church. You're going to drop off the title to your house. You're going to drop off, you know, if you have two cars at home, three cars, uh, have a conversation in the family, decide which car you want to keep, bring the other car to church, okay? You're going to drop that off and donate that. Um, bring your 401k, bank statements, cash, assets, jewelry, all that stuff we're going to put into a big pile, and we're going to give that, spread it out equ equally to everybody, okay? Um, that's not what happened, okay? <laughs> Did you just breathe a sigh of relief? Probably, but what, what I think... What I think happens when it comes to the church and our posture of generosity, there, there ought to be this steady and faithful drip to our giving, absolutely. But there also should be this gear, this posture of readiness to jump into when, when needs arise. And so when things come up, uh, the early church took action. And so if they could, uh, they, they sold things. They, they made it happen. They met needs in big ways. And as, the, as needs came up, the church responded. And so for this to happen, two things need to be present for us, right? Number one, awareness. And two, a willingness to respond. That should be the, the posture of our heart as believers in our generosity. Awareness. Like, I'm not just thinking about me and my needs only. Uh, I'm walking in a church realizing that people have hardships and stories and there's actual things going on in folks' lives. And so I'm, I'm aware of a wider uh, scope than simply my own life. But secondly, paired with this willingness to respond. Listen, this is often what happens in missional community. Um, Ellie talked about this earlier, and I, I hope that every single one of you sign up for a missional community. Um, it's, it's vital to your life as a Christian. Um, I'll, I'll back off and say I think community is vital to your life as a Christian, but especially an area where you are weekly known and you can know others and you can be accountable to people. You can walk through God's word with people. MCs do that. But what MCs also do is they give you a higher awareness and opportunity to serve people in generosity. 
Like, there's so many things that have happened over the last year that I could point at and even point to people in this audience and say, that happened, that started because of your proximity and community to people. And so we need to be in community in order to step up our awareness and willingness to respond. Some people have done this in great ways. Some people need a, a couch to crash on. Some people needed help with their cars. Some people have been sick and couldn't work. And, and many of you stepped up in this room. One of the things I want to make you aware of also is we actually have some formal lanes in our church to help meet, meet needs like that as well. Um, so most of these funds are reserved for covenant members, um, which right now there's about 30 covenant members in our church. Praise God for that. Um, but we have a benevolence fund that is ready to be filled. And, and that fund uh, doesn't pay one salary or one utility bill. Its sole existence is to help those in the church family who, who need help. Um, there's, a, there's a need. Someone loses a job. Someone has a practical need. And so if you go in our church center app right now, you can see that we've added that fund for you to be able to contribute to along with our general fund, missions fund, uh, et cetera. So um, check that out, earmark that. Uh, that's something to consider in the future. But, but listen, I hope you're encouraged because there are generous people in this church. There are generous people in this church. They recognize that fellowship is more than just being together. It's about, it's about sharing what we have. And sometimes radical generosity uh, happens. And so here's the question that I, I don't know the answer to. Is that happening in your own life? Like, is that happening for you uh, and your spouse or, or you and your own thinking? And, and this may be where it gets a little awkward because what makes this difficult is that it's, it's nearly impossible for me to measure generosity uh, on, on your end. I, I can't really do that, right? This is, this is what I think Jesus is getting at in the Gospel of Mark. We'll get to this in a few months when Jesus shares about the widow's might, that story uh, and Mark. And Mark records that Jesus is watching people at the temple make their donations at the temple. And there's these guys who roll up and they have huge bags of coins and, and money and they just drop it all in. And you can just hear the reverberations of the coin throughout the whole temple. And then there's this, this woman who walks up and she drops in two copper coins. And Mark points out that it basically equals to a penny. Uh, it's, it's not very much at all. It's almost something you wouldn't stoop down to pick up on on your own if you found it in a parking lot. But Jesus says this, it's actually all she had left. It's the only thing she had left. And so this is sacrificial giving. This is radical generosity. And yet what Jesus is getting at is that nobody looked at her that day and thought, wow, big deal. This lady is super generous. No one gave her a second look except for Jesus. So listen, as you consider your own generosity, you don't have to try to convince anyone that you're generous. That's not what I'm talking about. I hope you don't get that from this time this morning. But what I do want you to remember is that God knows what it is that, that we do. He sees it clearly. He sees if you are generous or not. God has given you everything in your life. He's given you your job, your resources. He has, in a way, set your, your, your status and your paycheck and all those things that you know so intimately, you, you hold so close to the chest. God knows those things. And so when you give, God knows if you're being generous. He's fully aware of that. God looks at the heart. And so if you have the ability, if you 
are made aware of a need, are you ready and willing to step in and help? That is an essential part of, of church. Here's number three. Number three is this. A life of generosity means investing in the long term. A life of generosity means investing in the long term. The next two points take us over to 2 Corinthians and Paul's instruction to the church in Corinth. Uh, you can turn there if you like. The passage will also be on the screen behind me. Uh, it turns out the early church also needed this reminder to be generous. And Paul says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, let's be clear. Um, Paul's obviously not preaching a prosperity gospel. He's not saying that if you give God $1,000, you will receive that back you know, somehow, uh, nor is he this like bullish financial advisor who's saying, look, um, I'm going to guarantee a 15% ROI on your investment uh, that shows up in your account down the road. He's not any of those things. What he's talking about is he's talking about making an investment in something that will outlive us. Uh, putting, putting money, putting resources into something that that will, will outlive our life and our efforts. And look, I realize it's easier than ever to have a pessimistic outlook on the world today. Uh, I read an article just this week about how hard it is for people to buy homes, for people to buy, um, buy cars or, or get, get jobs. There's, there's a lot going on right now in, in terms of the future and how difficult that might be. You may have debt that you have to pay off. And, and then you scroll on your newsfeed and politics and uh, disaster and disease seems to be all that you see. So listen, may, th may this be our reminder, Christians. We have a hopeful future to look forward to. I, I need you to remember that always, that we have a hopeful future in heaven to look forward to, a future that is untouched by pain or brokenness. And so even if the world keeps spinning for 500 years from now, well, if that brings you hope or anxiety, we have hope in knowing how it will all end. And so with that knowledge of hope, we sow, we invest into kingdom work, spiritual work that will last forever. And so God says, I will use whatever you want to give. If you want to give me a little bit, uh, we'll make it happen. If you want to give me a, a lot, that will be invested and that'll be seen in the future as well. It'll be a, a greater return in my kingdom. So listen, I, I, let me just remind you what you already know. Most of you have built your life in this room around this radical eternal truth that Jesus loves me and he died for me and he, he gave his life up for me. This is a radical, eternal cornerstone of our faith, this claim about Jesus. And yet, our outward generosity would claim a different story. We don't live like that in reality. Our giving doesn't often reflect what we believe about eternity. Why would I want to be stingy about what has been entrusted to me? Because he died for me. I want to share, and it's actually a joy to share. Because my eternal theology informs me that's true. I know my investment will last forever. This brings us to our last point this morning. Number four is this. A life of generosity means that we're cheerful givers. We are cheerful givers. This last point speaks to the temperament, the mood, the posture of our giving. It's supposed to be cheerful. It's supposed to be cheerful. Does that, does that surprise you, by the way? 
It kind of surprises me sometimes because I think sometimes as uh, the American church, we think of maybe a tithe or an opportunity for generosity as a bill we have to pay. And I'm not happy about paying bills, right? I'm not happy about paying taxes or, or X, Y, or Z. And so if we put our giving in that same category, why would I be cheerful about it? This is something I have to do. Well, this is exactly the posture that we are called to, to give in. Does this describe your relationship with giving and generosity? Probably not. It seems a little backwards, but this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, this, this needs to be a point for us. This needs to be a reminder because life is hard. Life gets long. Following Jesus sometimes loses its luster. And we need to be reminded that walking in, in, with Jesus this, as, as a disciple is a joy-filled endeavor. This is something that we get to do. And so I think there's a portion of people, there's Christian believers who sometimes I'll talk to, who will try and boil down things to contracts or to like, okay, what do I have to do to make God happy with me? Right? These terms and agreements. And so this, this approach is sometimes reflected in these questions I'll, I'll receive. And so it's like, hey, hey, pastor, is... Is the tenth, like the tithe, the, the Old Testament thing, still something I'm supposed to do exactly? Or, or pastor, when I give it a percentage, is it supposed to be based on my, my gross or my net earnings? Or am I supposed to pay off my debt first or, or, or tithe? Like, so these are important questions, and I would say uh, to them and others, like it, it just depends, right? It depends on, on your context and your heart and that situation. We can talk more about that if you want to. But here's what I would remind you of, that I would ask, are you more concerned with how you are giving than does giving bring you joy? Are you more concerned with the, the, the structure of it as opposed to how is this an act of worship for you? And our worship should always be tied to delight. So we need this reminder. We need this reminder. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And it's not that hard to imagine why God would like us to be cheerful as a giver. So imagine it's your birthday and your cousin, let's, uh, I don't think there's a Brian in our church, but it's all go Brian, all right? Uh, your cousin Brian shows up and, and he's there and he's got there late and he's there, but he's not really into the festivities and he's like, hey man, happy birthday. I didn't really want to spend as much as I ended up spending on you. But, you know, I felt like I had to. So everyone else is getting you stuff, and I was like, I didn't want to be the only one out. So, okay, here you go. Like, is, is your heart warm by that, right? Like, do you just feel all, like, warm and fuzzy inside hearing your cousin Brian just be lame like that? Like, do you feel the love for Brian? Like, why would we expect God to receive our gift any differently? You know, what's so, what's so sweet about God loving a cheerful giver is that it takes the focus off of the amounts that we give, and it puts the focus on the, on the, the posture of our heart as we give. You know, I, I've received a lot of gifts from my four kids over the years. Um, none of them are usually very expensive, right? Like, a lot of them are homemade. Sometimes they just give me my stuff wrapped <laughs> up, and they give it to me again. And I'm like, this looks familiar, right? Like, I think I own this already. Um, 
But almost all the things that I've ever been given by my kids are hard to part with. Um, because I, I, I remember the look in their face. They're excited to see how I will respond to their gift. And I, I remember seeing the intricacy of the drawings and seeing the, the time that they took to make this craft, right? And it's like, I mean, practically after the fact, I'm like, what do I do with this stuff? But, but at the time, I'm like, this is awesome. Thank you for spending time thinking about your dad. Thank you for thinking about picking out a card that's going to make me laugh and, and having that, that time and effort put into that. And I just want to remind you this morning that our Heavenly Father is the same way. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we offer up generosity with a posture of worship, with a posture of joy. And so sometimes our cheerful giving, it needs a starting place. And, and so that's why actually I like weekends like this. Because as we talk about generosity, it's, the irony is not lost on me that we're, we're celebrating our one-year anniversary as a church. Because there's actually a lot to be thankful for that fuels our cheerful giving, right? It fuels our, our cheerfulness for giving. And that, that posture of the cheerful giver in 2 Corinthians 9, and so as we think about this last year, I can't help but think about how God has used generous people in this room and, and others as well who have given months ago to this endeavor. And we are now seeing the fruit of investments today. Let me just share some things for you guys to be thankful for with me. Since we started the King's Church, we've seen 13 people come to saving faith in Jesus. Uh, we've seen four people be baptized. Uh, nearly 75% of our adults are serving somewhere in the church, which is, is an amazing stat. I've, I've been a part of a lot of churches before, and, and that's, that one's pretty amazing. Uh, because of your generosity, we've given nearly $20,000 away to missions and church planning efforts. Uh, that's, I'll just kind of stop there. there. This is just some of the things that God has done in year one at the King's Church. Some of you know of other things. Some of you have been the recipient of other blessings. And it's fueled by generous giving. It's fueled by people who are on mission with the Lord and with our church. And so I just want to close with the same reminder I started with. It's good and, and right for us to be challenged in these areas of our life. Um, and I, I hope that everything that I've said hasn't, hasn't been like crossing the line in a way, but in some ways I do hope that it confronts you. It confronts you where you're, where you're at in terms of your own generosity and your giving because it's in the Bible, and I believe our generosity is directly tied to discipleship. And so listen, God did not spare his own son to rip you off financially. That's, that's not what's happening here as we read scripture. God is not trying to get into your wallet and, and, and make a mess of your life. The Lord loves you, and he's inviting you to be on mission with him, especially here in our church as we grow in our hearts of generosity, meet needs for people around us. And so I, I pray that year two, we would be even more generous as a church, that we would take that grace inwardly and have that outwardly show through our giving uh, in radical ways. Let's pray and ask for help to that end. Inspire us together. God, we're, we're grateful this morning for the ways that you have provided. Um, God, I, I thank you that as we think about our own gener generosity, our own uh, rhythms that we have in terms of giving, we don't have to, to look far or, or search hard to find an example uh, of, of the one who was the most generous to us. 
And God, that, that, is, that is you and through your son, Jesus Christ. You have given us everything, all that we needed and more. You've given us grace and mercy. You've given us a new life and community to live that life with. And so, Lord, would you, would you remind us of that daily? And would our generosity just grow and grow and grow? And would we be known as a church, as people who, uh, who give and share and meet needs? God, would, we, would you help us be that example of the New Testament church that we see so clear, clearly in Acts? Um, God, we can, we can be that with your help, Lord. Would you grow us in that way? Would the gospel become real to us uh, in this area of our life? We love you and praise in your name. Amen.